Welcome to the Life Giver Marriage Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope for your military or first responder marriage. This is your host, Corey Weathers, and I'm honored to share this journey with you. Close your eyes for a minute if you wanna see the world. I just want to give a big shout out to my first responder husband, Matt Garland, who is a firefighter paramedic. Thank you so much for serving our community and our family every day. And also thank you so much for your service in the U.S. Navy. We appreciate and love you. The Life Giver app with Corey Weathers is now out and available for iOS and Android devices. You'll have access to the podcast, videos, as well as marriage curriculum that you can access and interact with right inside the app. Download the Life Giver app with Corey Weathers today. Welcome to another episode of the Life Giver podcast. This is Corey. We are in the middle of a series called Inside First Responder Marriages, and I'm taking a little bit of a break from the video podcast and just coming to you with an audio version um, for a couple of reasons. One, it was just time for a little bit of a break, and I'm about to enter into a really busy season of traveling, specifically for several things, but specifically for the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation, where we are actually going to be working with military and first responder marriages. And um, so I'm getting into a little bit of a busy season and I still wanted to put out the podcast, but I knew I also needed to do some good self-care and kind of cut back a little bit on some of the work um, that I've been putting out. So we're doing just an audio version of this series, but um, hopefully as we get into the winter, I will come back with some more of the video podcasts. And if I feel up for it, possibly even doing a few more of the live video chats or discussions, and those can be part of the Life Giver podcast as well. So I wanted to give you a little bit of background as far as why I'm doing a series specifically for first responders. Those who've been listening to this podcast from the beginning know that I have a huge heart for military families, military couples. We are a military family, and so I've covered a range of topics already for military families, including parenting and military children and PTSD with service members. And of course, the Sacred Book, um, Sacred Spaces book series really tackled a lot of military specific service member specific content and topics and how to handle when your service member comes home different and as a spouse navigating those changes and reintegration and all those kinds of things and um, you know I have to tell you one of the reasons why I've opened the podcast up to first responder families as well is because actually my in-laws Matt's parents are a first responder family and Matt's dad was um, is a retired first responder a retired police officer and his father was a retired police officer and so Matt came from a long line of first responder families. And in fact, as his story goes, one of the reasons why he entered into the military was because he said his dad said it was too dangerous for him to go into law enforcement. And so Matt, I'm having a huge heart for uh, the trauma that a lot of first responder families face, um, decided to come into the military as a chaplain um, to kind of address some of the same issues that you find in military families that we also see within the first responder culture as well. So 
for him, coming in as a chaplain was his way of giving back, knowing what it's like to be a child of a police officer and see some of the consequences of living out that service lifestyle and, and the things that his own family had to go through and face, what he saw his dad facing. Um, it was really on his heart to come into the military and find ways to serve military families in the same way. And that's a lot of what today's episode is about. I wanted to talk with everybody about what I see as the similarities and a few of the differences as well. But what we find between these two communities, the military culture, the first responder culture, and even though I am a military spouse, very heavily in the military culture, um, there's a lot of things that I'm not going to be able to speak on as far as what it's like to be a first responder spouse. But as a clinician who is working currently with both uh, military and veteran, couples and first responder couples, I wanted to share with you what I'm seeing as a clinician as far as the similarities and just a couple of the differences that I find between these two cultures. And I think that will also help to explain my passion and the reason why um, I have such a huge heart for both communities. So that being said, you know, I, I went back and forth you know, because I made a list, I made it, you know, here's five ways that we are very similar. And here's five ways that we're very different. And I went back and forth on which ones to share with you first. And it's really a toss up because, you know, both are significant and both are meaningful and have a lot um, of weight to them. And so I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to probably start off with maybe the differences first. Um, The differences between the first responder culture and the military culture. And again, yes, I'm a military spouse. I'm not a first responder spouse, but um, this is kind of information that I've personally gathered from my husband coming from a first responder um, family, you know, my mother-in-law who I've had so many conversations with on what it's been like for them over the years, as well as so many of the couples that I get to work with through the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation offering marriage coaching to many of these couples. And this is a good way for me to be able to validate some of the similarities and differences that we see without me necessarily giving away information from some of these couples that would um, disclose information that they wouldn't want me to to share publicly, but I can generally kind of let everybody know this is some of the themes that I'm seeing, some of the commonalities, and um, I just find it so fascinating, and it's such an honor, honestly, to not only do this podcast and serve all of you couples that do serve your communities or serve our country, it's such an honor for me to work with couples specifically navigating the ups and downs of this service lifestyle, and um, so I'm just so grateful to not only be able to have this podcast and have so many of you um, write to me and say how much you you appreciate the podcast and the content that's been in it, but also um, how grateful I am to be a part of the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation that is doing some very active things to serve families in both cultures, and um, tr- honestly, just trying to figure out what do what does the culture need in order to have successful marriages come out of it. So let's ju- let's jump in. Let's talk about some of the differences first of all. Okay. So um, as I've worked with both communities, both cultures, um, obviously one of the biggest differences that stand out between the military and the first responder cultures or communities is um, the level of, I'm going to call it civilian support, but I'm going to come back to that as far as um, 
in the similarities as well though too and so here's a this is a big topic and you guys are going to notice this you know all over the news and social media and that sort of thing so one of the biggest differences that actually makes me incredibly sad is that um, the military culture right now um, is really just the civilian culture and america in general just really loves their military now this wasn't true back in vietnam and so we do have some similarities and understanding what it's like um, for the veterans from Vietnam who came home and they were not received by the civilian culture. They were really, they felt attacked and isolated and rejected. Um, But I think our current generation of military families don't really know what that's like because a lot of our experience has been enjoying Americans feeling very patriotic, very thankful for military family service, um, very, you know, you see a million organizations out there that are out there trying to support veterans and families and caregivers. We have the Elizabeth Dole Foundation, which is doing awesome things for caregivers of wounded warriors. We've got the Wounded Warrior Foundation. We've got um, the Boot Campaign. We've got so many organizations, Project Sanctuary. There's so many that are doing things right now to serve veterans. The Bush Institute um, that's out in Texas is also is trying to gather all of these organizations together that are trying to support veterans and get them to talk and make sure that they're not duplicating services because there's just so much support out there for military families and um, veterans. And so what we are not seeing for the first responder culture, especially all over the news and within you know our towns really is the support of civilians for law enforcement and for their families we are seeing a breakdown Um, now yes there are some in the community that are really trying to surround these first responder families Um, but i have a huge heart for these families who are putting their lives on the line who whether that's to um, protect people in a riot in a rally or whether that's stopping someone on the side of the road for a safety concern or for a speeding ticket or something like that and not know you know what they're walking up on and so um, there's just a huge divide right now between the civilian community and our first responders and um, there's a lot of civilians that are um, frankly attacking our law enforcement being here in Charlottesville where the rallies were Um, It was very sad to me, very alarming to me, um, hearing that people were throwing things at our law enforcement during the rally, um, attacking the law enforcement. There was plans um, to fill soda cans with cement and be prepared to throw them at the law enforcement. Um, You know, when the law enforcement was asked to protect those who had filed for a permit to have a rally, the same as those who recently this week, even um, a group of protesters that were walking from Charlottesville to D.C. to protest um, the white supremacy groups and law enforcement were right there escorting them down the road very slowly, protecting their right to protest. And so we have so many of the law enforcement that are doing their jobs every day. And yet the civilian um, culture is very much at a place where um, they're not respecting that authority and um, and frankly attacking a lot of our law enforcement and many of our law enforcement families, our first responder families feel that stress every single day of not knowing if their own communities are supportive of what their spouse does for a living and for their job. And that's a huge difference that we have. The military culture feels 
widely um, supported by the average citizen, by the average American, um, whereas that is not happening so much recently for our law enforcement families. So I have a huge soapbox on that because I am I have such a heart for this. Um, so I'm going to do my best to try not to get into too much of my emotion on that um, because I'm sure it would spark debate just as much as if I were to go on Facebook and, and express my opinions on that. Um, the only thing that I will say, because so many of the listeners to this podcast are first responder families or military families, I think that you get it when I say um, that my biggest frustration is that um, so many people can be angry with our law enforcement or angry with the way that they might do their jobs, um, but yet they are incredibly grateful when they have an emergency and that first responder shows up to protect them or serve them. And um, frankly, I think that we should be more grateful than critical. And so I'm going to stop there and not say anything more about that. (laughs) Okay, so number two, as far as the differences for military versus first responders. Like I just said a minute ago, there is so much support and so many resources out there for veterans and for military families. In fact, we are on the military side doing our best to honestly scale down or um, work really hard to find which of these organizations are actually doing a really good job, a quality job with serving military families and veteran families. Um, to be honest, there is not many resources out there for first responder families. Um, there are they are out there, and I think that they're probably starting to grow. Um, but there aren't a lot, and that's one of the reasons why pairing up with the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation has been such a joy because they do recognize um, that a lot of our first responder families are actually veteran families. Many of them served prior to them becoming law enforcement. And so it just makes sense to bring them in and serve them too. Um, A huge issue for me, what I hear over and over again, is the lack of mental health resources. Now we do see this um, with military as well as far as finding mental health uh, providers that are culturally competent to handle military or first responder issues. But I have to say that those military or the mental health professionals that are qualified to handle things like PTSD and the general issues um, are finding they're training up to work more with military. Um, But we don't see as many mental health professionals that are trained up and culturally competent on first responder issues. It's just an, it's a different world. It's still different. Even though they're civilians, it's still very different from the average citizen. And so many of our first responders are having a very difficult time finding mental health resources or providers that really do understand them, understand their family and understand their unique needs, um, as well as being trained and qualified to not just handle trauma or PTSD, or anger issues or that sort of or stress in the family, but also um, knowing how to actually counsel a first responder because, um, you know, service members are very are trained to habitually be strong, not weak, to not complain, to um, follow authority. First responders are very similar to that. And so you have to know how to work with the personalities that develop within this service culture in order to really work with them. And so honestly, um, a big difference is that we have a lot of resources for veterans and for military families, but very few resources for the first responder community. All right, number three, 
Um, big thing, right? Daily safety. Number three is daily safety. So for the military culture, you know, when our husbands are home, when our service members are home, we pretty much know that they're safe. We've got guards at the gate. We've got um, a lot of safety and security, um, knowing that when they're home, that we can all relax and we can, you know, just absorb the safety and the feeling of security of knowing that all is well. For our first responder families, it's a daily um, safety issue. And so every morning when they, you know, kiss their, their serving spouse goodbye for the day, um, they're going out there and putting themselves in harm's way. Whereas for the military, if your service member is home and you say, have a great day, they're likely going to a cubicle or to a desk or maybe out to the motor pool or maybe out to the field, but you're not really concerned about their safety quite so much unless they are doing a field exercise or something like that. Um, so, you know, a lot of our first responder families are dealing with the daily safety issues and the concern for safety, especially for that spouse at home, struggling with um, concerns of, is my spouse going to come home today? And I would say that for them, this is more of a guess, it's an assumption, but I think it's an easy assumption to say, you know, I don't know what it's like to endlessly worry about my spouse. You know, when I go through a deployment with my husband goes, you know, leaves for a deployment, I know that there is a beginning and end to that deployment. And I know that I'm going to have at least a break of not having to be concerned about his safety. I don't know what it would be like to be a spouse where every day I'm concerned for the safety with no respite, with no end to that. And so that is a key difference that a lot of our first responder families are not getting that break and are not getting that time to know that their spouse is safe unless their serving spouse switches a job um, and the job within the job, right? And so maybe they are not patrolling the streets. Maybe they're working in a jail or they're working in some other setting, um, maybe working in the office where they're not out on the streets. So, you know, unless they switch their job entirely, that is an endless concern for their safety. So um, number four, local connections. This is the differences um, that may exist between military and first responders. You know, obviously for military, we are um, constantly relocating. We're going through a PCS. We're um, having to move from place to place. And that's incredibly difficult for a military family to be pulled away from friends, from family, from your local church, from your job, um, and have to go someplace and start over. Now, we as military families like to turn that into an adventure so that we can survive it and not lose our sanity, right? But for our first responder families, for the most part, unless they choose to move, they're able to kind of settle into a community, find a local church, find those small groups to do life with, um, have those friends or spouses maybe that are also um, serving families, um, first responder families to do community with and support each other. And that is one key difference. That's one positive that I think the first responder community has that the military doesn't. Um, you know, yes, we can easily both sides can easily form quick solid relationships with other families who get it who understand um, but I think that the military families um, really do struggle and grow very weary over time of having to change those support networks and those friends and schools and all of that again and again and again uh, now yes I can hear some of you already some of you on the first responder side are saying yes but 
right? When you are in one place for a really long time, you have deeper, more solid relationships, but that leaves for more hurt and misunderstanding when some of those relationships go wrong or um, when there is a breakdown at the job as far as toxic leadership and that sort of thing. And it can make living within that community really hard. So there's pros and cons to both sides, right? Um, But there's definitely the difference between the two. All right, number five and the last one for differences is the stigma. Okay, so this is a big one, um, one that I have been recently woken up to in the last couple of years as, as I've worked with the first responder community. Now, there's definitely a stigma for getting mental health in um, the military side. Um, a lot of our service members are concerned about going and getting mental health so that if they get diagnosed with PTSD or sometimes even extreme depression or anxiety or that sort of thing, there is that concern that they could get medboarded out, uh, medically discharged, anything like that. Um, but I have to say that so much of our leadership has actually stepped forward recently and said that it's okay for you to go get mental health help. Um, we've had many leaders that have come out and said, hey, you know, I struggle with PTSD as well. I'm going to get counseling. You should go get counseling. Um, So many of them are saying it's not going to affect your fit for duty. Um, Some of our special ops, though, I mean, they they really are still struggling with that stigma. And we have a lot of DUIs, a lot of um, issues within these communities where, you know, they don't want their clearance revoked or, or anything like that. And so there still is that stigma attached to getting help or getting a diagnosis, that sort of thing. Um, So there are some similarities in that, but for the most part, it's kind of become a buzzword, I guess, within the military culture to go get help, that it's okay, that there's lots of people that are available to you. In fact, there's things like um, give an hour where you can go out and get help um, under the radar um, for free from local providers without having to go through insurance or anything like that. Um, just to reduce that stigma so that you can feel like you can go get the help that you need. Now, on the first responder side, that is much more difficult. So we had already ta- I had already talked with you a minute ago as far as mental health care and not finding providers that are culturally competent. But what we're finding for these law enforcement and the first responder community is that there's a huge stigma attached. I get emails from people from even firefighter families who say, you know, they lost um, one of their their buddies in a fire and that... Um, I'm not sure what you call it, a company or the the firehouse or, or that group. Um, it just was not spoken about for you to go get help. In fact, it was kind of a suck it up mentality, drive forward. We're not going to talk about our feelings. Um, so it's not very common to have many um, fire, or I'm sorry, first responder leadership that's saying go get help. In fact, um, one of the things that I've heard is that within the first responder community, especially the law enforcement side of things, if you are struggling with suicide or if you admit to struggling with the thoughts of suicide, um, you your weapon is understandably taken from you immediately. And um, however, but if you lose your weapon, you for many of them, they lose their job too. And so this is not just about taking a break and taking care of yourself and then coming back on the job for many of them the stigma whether it's true or not the stigma that's out there is if I go get help I'm not seen as fit to do my job and I will lose my job now yes I think that can happen as well in the military especially in severe cases but 
I just am talking about the stigma. So what is kind of the rumor on the streets for both of these communities? And and the rumor is if you're in the military, you're more likely to get that support and help and direction. And on the first responder side, um, the fear is, the rumor is, the stigma is um, not only can you lose your job, but if you lose your job, you know, it's really hard to find another job. Um, so I've heard stories of people not being able to find um, any kind of similar job after that. It's, it's not something you can easily come back from. And that's one of the reasons why suicide, the number of suicides for law enforcement and first responders is so high, um, just simply because they can't be seen as weak. They can't go get the help that they need. And um, obviously my heart is just, it breaks for, for that. And so it's one of the things that we're trying to do is how do we you know create more mental health providers that are culturally competent, that can address this stigma, that can make themselves available and know how to treat these families so that we can reduce that stigma and get more help to these first responder families. Okay, so those are the the top five biggest differences that I hear about or that I can see between the two communities. Um, So I wanted to get into the similarities because to me, this is a lot more fun. Um, a lot more um, because I think that there's so much that we can do to come together and serve each other. And, um, and you know, I think we kind of do already. You know, I think there's, especially because so many of our first responders are veterans as well, you know, there's just that smile across the room, that look in each other's eyes that, you know, you hear a lot from service members that they they know, you know, you can look in someone's eyes and know if they they know it, right? They get it. They've been there. They know what this the lifestyle is like. They know what it's like to lose somebody. They know what it's like to go through trauma and they know what it's like to try to be strong and provide for their family. And um, so I think that that support and that camaraderie is already there. My hope is that by having this conversation, we have more families that reach out to one another. We need more military families that are willing to reach out to your local community of law enforcement and support them um, because they need the support and they need um, to know that there are people out there that may not be exactly like them. Um, but they are alike that they are like enough that we can offer a level of support in doing life with each other. All right, the top five ways that we are similar. All right, number one is many deployments or just deployments in general. So obviously for military families, we have deployments and they range from, you know, a month to three months, six months, nine months, a year. You know, a while back there were there were 15, 15 month deployments that people had been extended from a year to 15 months. So that's, that's pretty understandable um, as far as what military families go through. What I think that military families may not realize is that for the first responder community, they're going on a little mini deployment deployment every day. And so when that spouse kisses their serving spouse goodbye in the morning, there, like we said before, there's that fear of, I don't know if they're going to come back. In fact, I heard a quote, it might've been online somewhere. Um, I'm not sure where it was, but somebody was saying that a first responder wife said that her favorite sound every night was hearing Velcro. Because that meant that her spouse was home and taking off the Kevlar and taking off the body armor and that he was home safe. And so when you think about it, I think our first responders are deploying every day into a war zone. And um, and every day it's getting more and more unsafe. 
every day it's more and more unpredictable. You know, it used to be that first responders would go to a certain area of town that was known as unsafe or a little bit more volatile. And nowadays, you know, we don't know if they're going to walk up to a car window and and get shot. And so um, so I think that there's these mini deployments that are going on every day. And I think if we as military families look at it that way and realize what these first responders are going through on a daily basis, um, I think we're going to find ourselves with a lot of empathy and also a lot of a mentoring, honestly, that we can offer those first responder spouses as well to say, hey, I've been through it. Yes, there's differences between I've been through it for nine months or a year versus you go through it every day, but we can learn from each other and learn how to support each other and learn how to get through those moments. So number two is chaotic work schedules. So we in the military know what it's like to have a chaotic work schedule. My husband and I have a phrase that says it can all change in a lunch hour. And boy, has that happened. Um, I, you know, I kind of want to change that because now I want to say it's not so much a lunch hour, but it's, it all can change in an email. Like that's more like an instant change that can happen and it does happen. And so we can, you know, at any moment's notice, get an email or get notified that we are going to move to another location or that it's time for a deployment or he's going to go off on a training and or whatever. Right. And things change every single day or it can change every day. Um, even the Weathers family, we found out that we're moving early. We thought we had one more year here and nope, we're moving in December. And so. The military, you know, is very accustomed to the chaotic schedules of not knowing what time your service member might be coming home at the end of the day, but also not knowing what's going to be happening with your family um, next year or next month. For our first responder community, they're having chaotic work schedules too. You may have, um, this is what I'm gaining from a lot of the couples that I'm working with, even if he has a shift that's the same all week long, that doesn't mean that that's when he's actually getting home. One first responder said um, that he may have a shift that gets him off at six o'clock in the evening, like he's working a 12 hour shift, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Um, but if he's called into the courts or if he is um, out on patrol, and something happens he can't just leave in the middle of a patrol that's gone wrong or is is lasting a really long time and say oh you know my shift is over at six you've got to finish that out um, and sometimes go back and do paperwork for it too and so a lot of our first responder families are at home um, not knowing when their spouse is going to come home they can aim for six o'clock you know if they um, if that's what time they're supposed to come home but for the most part they may not come home until a much later much later um and for some of these first responders, their schedule changes every week. Um, some of them are going from third shift to first shift to second shift. Um, so it's changing all the time. And so what I hear from the first responder spouses is, you know what, I just kind of live as if, you know, he's not coming home for dinner. And then if he shows up, awesome, we get to have dinner together. And if he doesn't, then hopefully I'll get a text from him that says that he's okay, but I just won't anticipate or plan on him being home for dinner or to take the kids to an activity or whatever. I have to just hold down the home front. And boy, does that sound familiar, right? So a huge similarity that we all have is those chaotic work schedules. And what that does to a spouse, I want us to think about that for a second, because that is a whole other topic that I'm hoping to address very soon, is that spouses who live in chaotic schedules that are not of their own creating um, find themselves in a place where we are largely controlling. 
And so it's a huge temptation for military spouses and first responder spouses to feel like, okay, I'm going to control what I can, whether it's the kids or the kids schedule or food or the house or our money or or whatever, because there's so much happening in the schedule that is that is out of their control. So, um, so that's number two. Big similarity is the chaotic work schedules or life schedules that we both live with. Number three, isolation. You know, um, it's very easy for us to all say that we know what it's like to feel like other people don't understand. And um, I know I've covered that a little bit already in in several of the points that I've made in this episode so far. Um, For the military, I would say that the isolation comes from the constant moving, moving away from family, moving away from those friends that you do create during assignments um, who do get you, who do understand. Um, And, you know, trying to plug into the community, you know, outside of military and hoping that they get it. And a lot of the civilians don't. Um, For the first responder culture, I'm hearing that as well, that even though they are involved with their community, they are involved with church or small groups or their neighborhood or whatever, there is just that feeling that the people around them, if they're not first responders, they just don't understand. And a lot of them say to the first responder spouse, you know, I don't know how you do it, or you're just, you know, must be very strong or, you know, comments that we often hear as military spouses as well. And so a lot of our first responder families are also feeling very isolated. And, and I think that they might be feeling even, uh, well, I don't want to say even more isolated, maybe isolated in a different way from the military spouses. Um, especially considering the civilian culture and the American culture and the way that it's starting to rise up against these first responders on a daily basis. So um, all that to say, I I guess I just want to make the point that both military and first responder families do feel um, a massive amount of isolation, lack of support, um, but, but isolation meaning a lack of familial support, a lack of friendly support, a lack of fellowship, a lack of just being able to sit across the table from a friend over coffee and feeling like that person truly gets you and truly understands your life, um, doesn't necessarily pity you um, or, you know, have sympathy necessarily, but just gets it. You know, that kind of I get you so much that we don't even really have to talk about it. It's just we get it and we're, we're getting through it together. So number four is also a big one, and I'm calling it cynicism and silence. So um, the best way that I can describe this similarity is um, I'm going to start with the first responder side. Um, Many of our first responders um, have to be trained up to be prepared for anything to go wrong, right? That's how you survive out there as a law enforcement or first responder. So you go out there and you almost have to anticipate that everybody is the enemy because if you don't, then you're going to find yourself unprepared when something goes wrong. So over time, what we find in the first responder our culture is that in order to stay alive and do your job, you have to anticipate that everybody that you come come across or come up to could potentially be a bad person um, or do something bad or do something that could potentially hurt you. And over time, this creates a cynicism um, that frankly keeps, keeps them alive and keeps them doing a really great job. But basically what it is, is it's saying, you know, 
I'm going to second guess. I'm going to be cynical about everybody else. And so I've heard the first responders say things like, you know, the average citizen looks up to the Boy Scout leader because that's a leader who has stepped forward and is wanting to lead these kids and grow these boys up to be men. But as a first responder, I hear all the bad stories. I have to anticipate the bad stories. And so to them, that Cub Scout leader or that um, Boy Scout leader is automatically they honestly aren't necessarily doing it on purpose, but they're trained over time to see them as a perpetrator until they prove otherwise. So it creates that cynicism that anticipates the evil coming out of people um, first, um, and then maybe they'd be surprised by the goodness of other people when they actually see it. Um, But that's how they survive, and that's how they do their job. And so we have to be thankful for that, right? That's what keeps us safe is that they're always on the lookout. So a lot of our first responders are scanning the room just like military service members, you know, going to the mall, going out to eat, you know, not wanting to sit with their back against the door. They're scanning people as they're coming in. They're checking them out because they're anticipating things going wrong so that they can do their job. Um, Obviously, we see this in the military culture as well. Our service members have seen the worst of what humanity can do. And um, I think that both sides appreciate the goodness of their battle buddy, right, that's serving with them or their partner if they're a first responder. Um, So they know the good of what people can do, but they are faced almost daily or throughout seasons in their life with the worst of what humanity can do. And that can create a cynicism um, of... I'm going to expect the worst from you until I see the best. And that, by the way, can make it very challenging in marriage, right? Because if you're constantly trained up to see the worst of humanity, we need to be careful when we come home with our marriages so that we aren't necessarily anticipating the worst of our spouse. And instead, we're looking for the best. And that takes a a lot more effort and a lot more intentionality to make sure that we are looking for that in our spouse. I added silence to that, cynicism and silence, because our culture is so huge right now on impulsivity and saying whatever we want on social media that both our first responder community and our military, I'm going to say more service member than spouses because um, our military spouse community has gone bananas all over social media saying whatever it is they want and all of their opinions on politics and, and anything that comes across the news. But for... Um, But for the military members and the first responders, um, there is that respect for authority, respect for the job, respect um, that they don't have the option really to have that voice to speak out their opinions. And so that natural cynicism that has to be in them to do the job, they also have to develop an intense amount of self-control to keep that inside. And so, you know, you have a lot of um, pushing down, a lot of repression that's happening. So, you know, when you see the evil, when you see um, the worst of humanity, um, you have to deal with it, but you can't necessarily speak out against it. Um, I saw this very much so play out in the Charlottesville rioting and everything that's happened in our community here in this town where, you know, we have, a, you know, there was images of an African-American law enforcement officer who was standing there protecting the rights of the white supremacy group who had filed for a permit to protest. And he had to be there to um, to protect the 
that person's right to protest the statue in in downtown Charlottesville. And so that image was spread all over social media um, that here's this African-American who's having to stand there. And I'm sure that he had so many feelings and opinions about that white supremacy group and what they were doing and what they were saying. Um, but when it comes down to it, it's not his place to have the opinion and speak out about it. And so we see that in the military as well, where, you know, military members are asked to not share their political opinions, that regardless of who the president is, that's their commander in chief. And there's that respect for authority. And and what that does is create unity and it creates the mission mindedness. And I so appreciate that. Um, and I think that it develops a lot of self-control that we as spouses can learn a lot from to teach us on how to have our own self-control and how to um, bite our tongues and know when it's wise to say something and when it's not. Um, but I also want to say the flip side of that is that we can repress a lot of anger, repress a lot of frustration, and that's not good for the psyche as well. It's not good because we're going to ultimately find ourselves imploding or exploding over time. So number five and the last one um, is really this feeling of control. So this, again, is the similarities for first responders and for the military um culture. And so I wanted to bring up the idea of control because um, what I hear a lot from couples from both sides is that the military member and the first responder um, really have to let go of control. Like I'm not talking about self-control like I was just talking about where they have to control themselves. Um, But largely they have to let go of control of their everyday experiences. So the military members are told what to wear, where to go, um, what the mission is, how they're going to go about that mission. Um, for many of the military members, what they're going to eat, they sometimes on deployment don't have a choice, right? And so what I hear from the service members, and I think first responders are the same way. They're, um, they are told where to go, what to respond to, um, how to, to deal with authority, how to do their job. And so what I hear from a lot of the serve what I call the the serving spouse is that we had to let go of control a long time ago somebody else tells me what to do where to go how to behave um, and then I have to develop the self-control within myself to follow that authority and do my job and so they have found themselves in a place where they've released the need for control but what happens on the serve the supporting spouse side so the spouse at home is that we largely feel out of control of our daily experience. We don't have control, um, but we have a tend to have a different response because we aren't the ones signed up for the job. And I think what that does for the supporting spouse is that that's why we end up needing so much control. We do have a choice. And so then we try to control whatever we can. So what ends up happening as a marriage is you've got the serving spouse who has relinquished control and just goes with the flow and has a lot of opinions on it, but largely stuffs them down and just kind of compartmentalizes it. And then you've got the supporting spouse who also feels out of control and so therefore wants to control it all. And you can see, if you, especially if you are a, a serving family, you can see how that is just ripe for conflict for serving couples. And, um, and so I didn't add this in because I had like five and five on both sides. But I think the last thing that I want to add as far as the similarities is that both couples, both families of both of these cultures 
are um, incredible, incredible serving families. Most of them I have found um, really care about their communities, really care about other people and bend over backwards to serve each other um, and serve their communities. And it's one of my favorite things about serving these two communities is that they're such giving communities um, of people, of families. And so I meet so many couples, military couples and first responder couples that are not just doing their job, but they're also serving their neighborhood. They're serving their community. They're starting nonprofits. They're involved in nonprofits. They're volunteering places. They're volunteering at their church. Many of our first responders, if they go to church, are offering to be security at the church. And so these they're just, you guys are just my favorite, favorite people in the whole world because you have such huge hearts. And I hope my goal in all of this, um, with the life giver podcast, with the app, with everything, frankly, that I, that I put out or that I'm involved with is that you see that there's people out here that actually want to serve you and want you to take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And so don't forget to take care of yourselves. Don't bend over backwards so much. Don't give so much to other people that you don't also take care of yourself. So that I think is a good place to wrap up. I think that was a solid 40 minutes of me just rambling. Um, but I really wanted to make sure that I did this series well. And um, you first responders definitely deserve it. And um, I think I did a pretty good job not getting into my own opinions and soapbox because it's so easy. Just know that I love you incredibly. I have such a heart for you. Um, I, I really feel something in me to want to protect all of you. And um, it's my honor to serve you guys. It's my honor to learn more about your community. I'm always here to listen. Um, send me emails and tell me a little bit about what your life is like so that I can serve you better. So whether you're a first responder or military, I love to get your emails. I love to hear about how you're doing and ways that I can better serve you because that's what it really comes down to. If you're going to serve us as much as you do every day on a daily basis, it's my joy, my honor to serve you. So until next time. Have a great day. Take care of each other and take care of yourself.